1 Timothy chapter 6 this morning, we'll start reading in verse 6. But godliness with contentment. That's the phrase I want to leave you with this morning. With contentment. Boy, if we could just learn to do everything with contentment, how much more pleasant life would be. And really, this is a key to stewardship. It starts right here. By cultivating contentment in our lives. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced them themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. I believe it's more important now than ever before that we put our finances in order. As we speak on the subject of stewardship, over the next few weeks we'll be talking about debt and budgeting and biblical perspective concerning money and ownership and tithing and many other subjects. But this morning, I think the best place to start is right here with contentment. Society constantly promotes discontentment. Everything we see is provoking covetousness. And that's why God in the Ten Commandments addressed it. Now, it's the forgotten commandment. It's the tenth but Exodus 20, 17 says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor maidservant, nor manservant, nor ox. And he lists several things there. But the principle is not to live a covetous life that would lead us to be discontent. Christ knew the problem. He addressed it immediately in his ministry in Luke 3, 14 and said, Be content with your wages. I wonder how many truly are content with their wages. Most would like a raise on some level. Most would like a large raise or at least a Christmas bonus. But we should be content with our houses, our cars, our clothes, our spouse, life. We need to live content. As one man said, it was spring, but it was summer that I wanted the warm days, the great outdoors. Then it was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool dry air. Then it was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. Then it was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect then I was 20, but it was 30 that I wanted to be mature and sophisticated and financially secure. I was middle-aged, but then it was 20 I wanted. <laughs> the youth, the freedom of spirit. Then I was retired, but it was middle-aged that I wanted. The presence of mind without limitation. Then my life was over. And I never, ever got what I wanted. That's how so many live. 
wanting something that they cannot have at the moment, living discontent. And really we talk about Satan sowing seeds of discontent, but he doesn't need to do that because our human nature, by nature, we're discontent. Always wanting something we cannot have. And uh, you watch young people wanting all of life right now. Not a stage at a time, not a moment at a time. I laugh at those that are in high school talking about being in college and those that are in college talking about wanting to be married and those that are married talking about wanting not to be married. And <laughs> You've seen these young people, they get married, they want everything that it took their parents 30 years to accumulate, but they want it the first year. Pastor, that's what a credit card is for. So that which your parents bought over three or four decades sacrificing and working and saving up, you want one bridal shower, one wedding ceremony, first year of marriage. You don't understand how small our apartment is. Yes, I do. I got married and I was poor also. That's when you should just live off love. But love isn't much to live off of. That's what the youth of this generation is finding out. But here's what Paul said. Go with me. Keep your finger here in 1 Timothy because we'll be coming back. But Philippians is such a key text on the subject of contentment. Several years ago, I preached a message on the enemies of contentment. And then I was not present, but I heard Pastor Ben a year or so ago preached a great message on contentment. But whatever was covered in those messages I know is not sufficient to keep us and our human nature from being discontent. This is something that we have to deal with on a regular basis and Paul put it this way in chapter 4 verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want for I have learned. Now there is a silly notion that contentment is a virtue that some are born with. No one is born content. Everyone that is content had to go through the school of contentment and learn to be content. Young people, let me say this, far more important than getting a degree at a secular college or studying political science or mastering a budget, far more important than increasing your potential level of income is learning contentment because it'll last you a lifetime. And it's something you're going to have to address and say, I need to learn that self-discipline. And one of the best ways to learn contentment by getting out of the mall. You can't learn contentment in the mall. That stirs up and provokes discontent and the want for more. He said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am. Now, we know that contentment is not a state of being, but it's a state of mind. And Satan wants to attack your mind get you to live upset about what you don't have. And this is the generation that has excess. Paul says, I know how to be content while being abased and abounding. Now, it's surprising that in this generation of abundance that we still haven't learned contentment. Our cars are absolutely phenomenal. How many of you remember what you used to drive? How many of you remember your first car? I had one and the driver's door would not open. It had been hit in the driver's side. That's not really cool. When you got to get out the passenger's door every time you park 
and the window would not roll down, and the car didn't have an AC, so I would just leave the windows rolled down. didn't matter if it was rain or shine. Why even bother with that car? It was a piece of junk. And now we have cars that are plush. Everything's electric. We get good gas mileage, CD players. Now, I'm not talking about one. Most of us own two. And still we're discontent. How many of you remember that house you grew up in? How many of you remember that the heating in the house left many rooms very cold? How many of you ever saw frost on your walls? Eight or ten of you. There was a day when you woke up and you tried to find the vent where warm air was actually coming out of that vent. And you, we were laughing because the house we stayed at this past week, you didn't want any door left open because it would create a draft. And when it's 12 degrees outside, you don't want drafts of air that cold coming through the house. And now that our houses are perfect 70 degrees year round, we're still discontent. And here's what he said. I've learned, even though I've been abased. Now, you got to remember, Paul was in prison at the moment. And we don't know his, his, his exact circumstances, but he was captive and things weren't well. But despite that, he could put a smile on his face because he said, I've learned in every state to be content. Now, go, go with me to Psalms 34. I want you to see something this morning. I think there's a lot of confusion when it comes to this text. Actually, Psalms 37. God wants us to live every day content. And here's where our finances get out of control. And here's why people go into debt and money is misspent. We have more than we need because we've never learned to develop contentment in our lives. Here's the verse that we claim to promote discontentment. Psalms 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord. He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Now the way that you're interpreting that is a lie. So you think, look at that, there's my promise. Everything I want through Christ Jesus, I can have. No, you don't understand what God's trying to tell you. He wants to establish the desires of your heart. And here's what happens. When you delight yourself in God, He gives you, He establishes in you the right desires. He's not saying, hey, I'm a genie in a bottle, so whatever you want, call on me and I'll give it to you. You misunderstood Scripture. He's saying, I want to change your desire and if you delight in me here's the best part of delighting in God there will be a change in your want remember that verse we just read about Paul he said not that I speak in respect of want and here's what contentment is it's allowing God to dictate to choose or to change your wants and ultimately control your wanter that's contentment when I'm walking with God, my desires are more like His and my concern is more in the spiritual than the material. It's amazing how people, their, their car hits 100,000 miles and suddenly they're consumed with a new car. I've got to have it. i got to finagle and i got to go to the dealership and i got to find a way and it doesn't matter what the interest rate, it doesn't matter what it costs me. I've got to have a new car. You know what you need to do before you ever buy something on credit? Take someone down with you that actually knows math, 
figure out exactly what you're spending on that vehicle before you ever sign the paperwork. Let someone wiser than you talk you out of that bad decision. Before you buy that washer, that dryer, that bedroom set, nowadays you can buy everything on credit. Before you pay two or three times what it's worth, you know why you got yourself in that spot? Discontentment. Now, in all honesty, most of us could live for five years without ever buying any more clothes. We have enough. We don't need any more shoes, belts, socks. The Bible talks about praying for our daily food. When's the last time you actually needed to pray for your daily food? Now, the Bible does say having food and raiment therewith to be content. We have excess raiment, and most of the time, food in the pantry for several days, if not a week in advance. Some of you need to go check the dates on some of those jars and cans and go through your freezer and get rid of some of that stuff that has two inches of ice on it. You need to pray for your daily food. You're hoarding food. But there's just a general lack of contentment, and here's the problem. We want all of life at once, and you've got to get to the point where your relationship with God puts your focus on the spiritual instead of the material, and you say, what I can't have today, I won't want today. We rebuilt my wife's transmission last year, and then my car started giving me problems. And there was about a day or two or three or four when my wanter started saying, you need a new car. And I looked around and I priced some vehicles and my water changed. I said, you know what? That car's a whole lot nicer than you think. 200,000 miles, not a bad thing as long as it's not leaking oil. The transmission still shifts okay. But this world will convince you if your car has one mile over 100,000, you're doomed. It's over. It's too late. You messed up. You're sunk. You're going to spend the next five years in the shop and you're going to be messing with mechanics. And if you don't have a dress for every occasion and if you don't have shoes that perfectly match every outfit and if the purse doesn't match the shoes and the hat doesn't match the purse and the scarf doesn't match the socks, we have lived and fallen in this trap of discontentment where we can't have enough. And it's hard to be a good steward when you're discontent with what God has given you. He said, whatever state. Now, here's spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity will give you a very refreshing mentality where you're no longer focused on needs. You're focused on the spiritual. Your prayer life will change. You know, most people, their prayer life is all about, God, would you give me this? And these, these are the things I want. These are the things I need. It's not like you have no needs. You still plan and organize, but your mentality has changed. How many have truly reached a point where you look around, whether it's at the mall, Dillard's, JCPenney, the outlet mall, Home Depot, Lowe's, or McBride's gun shop, where you can actually walk around and say, you know what, there's nothing in here that I truly need. This is a waste of time. I still laugh at the way American shop, not going to the store because they actually need something, but going to the store to find out or remind themselves what they might need. Whatever happened to a family out or you're a date night that didn't include a place where you had to spend money? We wouldn't know what to do. But we go out there trying to figure out, well, what is it? Maybe I will see something that I need. If you're going with that mentality, you really don't need anything at all. 
And when we become content, now, now here's contentment. Go back with me to Philippians chapter 4 for just a minute. Philippians 4, this is the basis of contentment. Verse 19, my God shall supply all your need. You know, contentment is based upon faith. Faith in a sovereign God that will meet all of our needs and provide it exactly when we need it. Isn't it astounding knowing that faith is the only thing that pleases God, yet we struggle so hard with the concept of living by faith? So I know where I'm at right now, God is providing my needs exactly what I need for the moment. He has provided. But most are not content with that. God, you didn't get my prayer list. You didn't get my Christmas wish list. You, you're not paying attention here. There is so much more, and whether it's a young person looking for a mate or a man looking for a job, it doesn't matter what it is in life. We can live in a constant state of discontent with bills. Well, the electricity is so high. Can you believe what the city of Austin is doing to us? You know what? Unplug your coffee maker. Turn off the lights. Don't let your kids hang out in the refrigerator for five minutes at a time. Turn your AC up to 75 or 78 and you'll be surprised at the monthly savings. Why would we be angry with a light bill when everyone else is paying the same rate? Well, you can buy some candles. Stop paying it. Let the city turn it off. You'll figure out real soon that it's worth paying. We're discontent because the distance that we have to travel in the work situation that we're in and the family problems that we are having and constantly are upset with life in general. Now, here's the way to beautify life. One principle and it's contentment. Now, when we're talking about finances and we're talking about stewardship of our time and stewardship of our talents and stewardship of our treasure, all of this still hinges on contentment. Because until you get content with the talent that God's given you and the time that God's given you and the treasure that God's given you, you're always going to be out there running around seeking for something more. Now, let me just preface this by saying, when we're talking about poverty, I'm not talking about poverty because someone is too lazy to go work and get a job and establish some regular income. I'm not talking about that. The Bible still says if man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So, in this generation, if you're going to get ahead, you're going to have to work hard. Life is hard. Work is hard. Go work hard. Working hard doesn't eliminate poverty. The Bible establishes the fact they'll be rich and they'll be poor. So if your income is not the level that you want it to be, you say, boy, I wish I had a million dollars. Boy, I wish I lived in a nicer neighborhood. Boy, I wish I had nicer furniture. You're going to beat your head against the wall, drive yourself crazy, because you simply can't say, boy, I've got it good. I really do have it good. Of all the generations that have lived upon this planet, we are the generation that has it good. Speaking of the necessities of life and the luxuries of life, what generation has enjoyed more than we enjoy? Don't you like waking up, going to the sink, and turning on a faucet? And you get to pick cold or hot. 
you don't have to light a fire, put a pot on to heat up some water and take a sponge bath. You walked over to the shower and were angry because it took five seconds for the water to actually get hot coming through the pipes. How many of you are glad that we don't have to have a stable at the church or a place to tie up your horse? I'm all for horse riding, but that's not the way I want to come to church. I don't want to be in a carriage. You know, some people say, it must have been so beautiful to live 100 years ago. Can you imagine? No, it was not beautiful. I don't know what kind of books you've been reading, what kind of movies you've been watching. It was not beautiful. You would have been living during the Civil War, okay? That's not a beautiful thing. Have you read anything about the Civil War? I don't want to go back 100, 150 years. I'm very thankful for the times that we live in. I'm very thankful for the luxuries of life. Did you know back then you actually didn't drive by a window and have someone hand you a hot coffee flavored, sugared, spiced, exactly to your desired taste? Back then, you actually had to get a pot and put it on a stove and put in grounds and then hope you didn't drink some of the grounds. And there were no lattes, no cappuccinos. You know, Frappuccino is an invention of this generation. Kids that can't be content. Folks, you know this growing up. You would have never dreamed of having this many sets of clothes and shoes and gadgets. You know one of the best ways to become content? Simplifying life. Say, how do I simplify, Pastor? Stop upgrading every time they come out with a new upgrade. You don't need a new flat screen TV. If you're really determined to have a TV, why don't you drive around and pick up one of those huge 50 inch, they're giving them away. You can get it for 30 bucks. Why go pay $850 when you can find a TV that big? You just got to find a big table for it to go on top of. I mean, as soon as a new computer comes out, I, I can't believe the church and Christians live just like the world. And as soon as a new phone comes out, what's wrong with the i4? But no, there's an i5. That's what's wrong with the i4. Mark is always trying to ruin my life. Preacher, let me update your phone. No, I just figured this one out. Do not disturb my life. But Christians, I'm talking about Christians, literally online as soon as the newest gadgets, I mean, their fingers cannot go fast enough. The urgency, you can see it in their face. I got to get this before everyone else gets in line and slows me down. It doesn't make you more efficient. Matter of fact, now you spend less time with your family. More preoccupied. And if you look at the average house, good night, from the iPods and the iPads and the TVs and the, I mean, folks, Matt and I are young, and we laugh because the Bible college we went to, there was one person in the entire college with a computer, and we made mockery of that nut job. And he would tell us, one day you'll be using one of these too. Well, he lied. I never bought anything that big. That's slow. But a computer, yes. Now we all 
have to have one. Don't know how we could possibly live without one. And here's what's funny. That same computer, 15 months after you buy it, now you're ashamed to even take it into the coffee shop. Too big, it's too bulky. People look at me funny. I'm way behind. And your kids go, ah, Dad, please don't walk around with that. That's embarrassing. <laughs> Would you please not flip open your phone? <laughs> Can you at least change the ringtone? Kids don't understand phones are supposed to be about talking. That's actually the purpose of the phone. That's the original purpose of the phone, to talk with another person in a different place. But now kids don't use them to talk. They use them for thumb exercises. But the discontentment, because we're convinced that every time there's an upgrade, we've got to have it. Think about how much money's been misspent on upgrades. With a perfectly functional phone, a perfectly functional TV, a perfectly functional printer, a perfectly functional computer, but someone convinced you you had to have it. This is a generation of Christians that have never given less yet had more. Why don't you go back in your mind just 10 years and think about the house you lived in 10 years ago, the car you drove 10 years ago, the technology you had in your house 10 years, just 10 years ago. And now that you've added all of that abundance to your life, it's not that you're more content because you're constantly seeing something else that you still don't have. We're not content even with our eating anymore. How many of you remember what you used to eat 15 years ago? Do you remember what you ate growing up? Now when you grill out, your parents never grilled out a filet or salmon or any of that. Skirt steak? Yeah, whatever you grilled out over the past six months, you never saw in your youth. I didn't want to grill out in my youth. I was afraid dad would throw cow tongue. Or mom would throw falafel on there or an oatmeal cake. Or I didn't want that on the grill. Unless I could make those, uh, that girl wide enough for her to fall into the flame and eliminate the possibility of ha actually having to eat that. We've established our life along with the world that's focused on I've got to have something new and I've got to have something better and I've got to have more and we've gotten to the place where now we can't make missions a priority. We can't tithe. We can't do these things. If there's a special project, we can't participate. We can't give to the school. We can't help in ministries simply because there are more things that I need to buy that I don't yet have when needs are not lacking because the Bible says with food and raiment. Here's the command in Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. Be content with what you have. That's the command that very few are living by. Go back with me to Philippians. If we would just simplify our lives and say, wow, I'm going to go shopping less, how much money would you save by simply getting offline? eBay is not your best friend. Craigslist is not your buddy. You wouldn't need glasses. 
Say, I, I, I'm going to have to go spend some money and buy some glasses. No, you don't even need glasses if, if you just turn off the TV, unplug the Internet, and you wouldn't have to focus so much on things you don't need to buy young people. I mean, nowadays, there are 20-year-olds, 19 and 20-year-olds with credit cards. Folks, if you even have a credit card before you're 40 years old, it's because you've lost your mind. What in the world is a 25-year-old doing with a credit card that would help them later in life? Nothing. You're going to spend money that you don't have on things you don't need, so put it up, rip it up, tear it up, get rid of credit. Now, Paul said, I have learned whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Now, what is contentment based upon? Go back with me to chapter 4 and verse 6. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. What's it saying? With thanksgiving. So what did we see in 1 Timothy? With contentment, but the basis of contentment is found right here. You can't live contented unless you live thankful. Now this is also a learning process. You have a learning curve. So you've got to do exercises. And one of the most basic exercises to help you grow in thankfulness is this. Get up and say, boy, I am so thankful for my mate. And let them hear it. I am so thankful for my house. I'm so thankful for my neighborhood. Walk out the door and say it loudly. I am so thankful for my neighborhood. Tap the hood of your car. I'm so thankful for my car. Folks, if, here's the problem. We make so many unfair comparisons. And the reason you're feeding your discontentment is because you're comparing constantly with someone that has more. Why don't you take all that time, that effort, and energy and compare it with someone that has less. There are many more in this world that are less fortunate than you are. Before you go spend all that money on an upgrade, why don't you help yourself out? Take that money, buy a ticket to a third world country. And just go walk around a third world country for a couple days. And you say, you know what? I have way too much anyways. You ask any of these missionaries, one of the most overwhelming sensations when being in the United States of America is watching people who simply cannot get enough. With all the spending, with all the getting, with all the having, we just don't have enough. But how in the world can we live with contentment until we live with a thankful heart? It was Paul that said in Ephesians 5.20, in everything, give thanks. In everything. For all things. Now, we don't, we don't like any of that, but here's, here's where we get ourselves into trouble. We begin to look at what we have, see all the flaws, all the defects, what we don't have, look at people that have much more. Begin to cultivate gratitude in our hearts. Because of pride, we actually think that we deserve more. Well, you know... How is it that I work just as hard? How, how is it that they don't even love God? How is it that they don't even tithe, yet they have more than I do? Better be careful. You're letting Satan play tricks with your mind. 
you better, you better wake up. Now, this should be a daily exercise where you're exercising that muscle thankfulness and you're saying, I'm thankful for my church and I'm thankful for my friendships and I'm thankful for my mate and I'm thankful for my house and I'm thankful for my... Some of you need to thank God for your mattress. I hear people gripe about their mattress. Unless we have a sleep number bed. That's how far we've come in the United States of America when we can't be content, we can't be happy when we have sleep number mattresses, 800 thread count sheets, and we still can't sleep. Something is wrong with this picture. It's called discontentment. And until we walk around with a heart of gratitude, with an attitude of thanksgiving, where we literally say, God, thank you, thank you, Look what it says in Romans chapter 1. Here's what I like about thankfulness. It offers protection from so many of life's gravest spiritual dangers. You talk about discontentment or frustration, bitterness, reprobate mind, whatever it is. Thankfulness is usually the cure. And I don't think, I don't think we see things the way God does. Let me give you an example before we read this text. In Luke 12, the Bible says, Take heed and beware of covetousness. Now, in life, when we see a beware sign, we, you're not going to walk into that gate or put your hand into that cage before you look around because, you know, there's a danger around the corner. Several years ago, my dad preached in a, in a camp with some teenagers, and there was a couple kids that were show off, some punks, and... And they didn't want to listen to authority, and they were taking a hike one day, and it came across a rattlesnake, and they were steering everyone wide of the trail. But those two boys who didn't want to heed the warnings, goofing around, one reached down to pick up that rattlesnake, and it bit him. And the next thing you know, they're having to call in a helicopter to star flight him out to a hospital, trying to save his life because he simply wouldn't take heed. How many... Homes that we seem devoured by materialism and marriages and lives consumed. Thinking, you know, I don't have a problem with money. Just because you don't have enough doesn't mean you don't have a problem. I mean, there are ladies, it would be torture to go a week without walking into a Walmart, a Target, a JCPenney, a mall, buying a necklace, a purse, shoes, something. I've got to spend money on something. Now it's ingrained in us. Society has literally ingrained that covetousness in us. It's in our very fabric. Now, here's what thankfulness does. You look at what's going on around us. People that are spending money they don't have. Debt. We're not talking about, folks, forget the national debt. Let's talk about personal debt. You know what's happened? Because we've gotten so greedy, so covetous so consumed with having more that now we can't be patient now we can't even pray down a miracle now we can't even get God involved in the equation God's been excluded because I've got to make this happen and now we're finagling now we're working things out for our own good and in the end creating debt that should have never been created for my son he was wanting to buy a vehicle in Maine and for $3,500, there's not a whole lot of options. 
So at some point, we had been searching. Brother Jeremy was out there helping him. Pastor Ben and others were helping him look around. And he said, but Dad, most of the good vehicles only cost about $5,500. I said, son, how much do you have? Thirty-five. That means you spend what you have. Where are you getting? Well, Brother Jeremy or Uncle Ben or maybe you could loan. No, no, and no. He's not loaning you the money. I am surely not loaning you the money. <laughs> ben doesn't have the money, so the answer is absolutely no. If you at 18 are spending what you don't have, can you imagine the habit you're going to create and the disaster you're going to be in by the time you're 30? Now I talk to people and they Oh, on this card, they on the Walmart card and the Lowe's card and the Home Depot card. And you know what? Your life has been controlled by discontentment. Till you say, I don't need all of that. And when I do need it, God will open the door and give it to me. Thank God there's a group, an older generation in this church, that's just content. It's no surprise that their houses are paid for and their cars are paid for and they don't have any additional debt. You know why? They've learned to live simple. They've learned to simplify a life. And when everyone else is running out for the bargains, let me just say this to the younger generation. You can never save money by spending money. I still don't understand that concept. Dad, I can save $15 if I buy that $45 purse. You're not saving me anything. You're costing me $45. Truly, this world is so convincing. You just, you saved $15. No, you didn't. You spent $45 of my hard-earned dollars. And I'm not thankful for that. Now, with everything going on around us, it's like, like an explosion every day, a financial explosion. Listen, to what is just around the corner for this nation? You don't just create endless, massive debt and hope that no one notices. At some point, the creditors are going to say, pay up. I'm talking about real money and in your personal life you can't control what happens on a national level but you can't control what happens on a personal level and on a personal level you need to say I want to put my finances in order because we're talking about stewardship of God's money and what God has given you is still his so in order for you to honor and glorify him you need to say whether it's my time my talents or my money I need to be honoring God and you can't honor God through debt now look at society here's a society that we're living in this this chapter defines the United States of America in 2013, Romans 1, verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over, what's it say? To a reprobate mind. To do those things which are not convenient, being filled with, now this is filled and overflowing to the brim, filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, Maliciousness, full of envy. This is our society. 
murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but they have pleasure in them that do them. Now, this is not a category we want to find ourselves in. I don't want my family and my children, I don't want to end up myself with a reprobate mind. I don't want to be full of unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness. Well, how do I protect myself from falling into that category? Let's back up to the root problem. Verse 21. Because that when they knew not God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful. You want to know how to protect yourself from that kind of mindset? You want to know how to protect yourself from being filled with all unrighteousness, being filled with envy and covetousness? You live with a thankful heart. And you're going to have to teach your children, listen, children are born in greats. And I am astounded how often we help people and never, never, ever hear a word, a simple word, thank you, because they don't know the price. They don't know the cost involved. Until you teach those kids to meditate, until they understand value, they cannot appreciate, they cannot be thankful. I had ladies in this church bring me cookies. Can't imagine a woman going to the store, picking up those ingredients, coming back to the house, taking time she doesn't have, putting together a batch of cookies, buying a card that they think is appropriate to express their feelings toward the pastor and his family, signing that card. That's a lot of time and effort just to show love. But until you understand and meditate on the effort that was made to express love, you won't express gratitude. Because this generation has been given everything and you, you're protecting your child. Here's, here's the scariest thing in life. We're protecting our children from lessons that God wants to teach them. God wants to tell them there's a consequence for each action. God wants to protect them from a reprobate mind. God wants to teach them those lessons. But because instead of allowing them one moment at a time to receive their needs for the moment and pray down miracles were heaping on them like a giant scoop. Clothes and goods and treats and all the finest pleasures of life here. And then hoping that they have a thankful heart. Kids are so discontent now, they'll sit at the breakfast table and say, I don't want pancakes. I'm not eating this. Too hot in this house. I want a notebook with a race car on it. Now the kid determines everything in his life and you as my father were put on this planet to make me happy and content. And you better do a good job or I won't like you. We're talking about the realities of this generation. Till those children understand, no, you need to save some of life for the rest of life. So you don't need a Camaro when you're 20. You need a 1998 piece of junk truck that you have to jimmy to get it started. Chris said, Dad, 
this thing will only do 65 miles an hour. It won't even go any faster. I said, good. <laughs> Save you money and tickets. I don't know of any parent that has a problem with a car that only goes 65 miles an hour. Best thing you can do in life is say, I want to protect my kid. Thankfulness is like a bomb shelter. Protects your kids. Reprobate mind, discontentment, frustration, and bitterness. Say, you know what? There'll be a day when you can travel. There'll be a day when you have a nice bedroom set. It's just not today, and it's just not in my house. <laughs> and if I do get you a bedroom set when you move out, you're not taking it with you. Otherwise, we create an emotional roller coaster for our children where they live saying, I don't have life good enough. 